Hello everyone and welcome to season four of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for taking the time to download the show today. Wherever you are right now listening to my voice, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now a massive show for you today as always, but before we get to our special guest, I just wanted to remind everyone out there that if you're a swimming coach or just a massive fan of sport in general, you won't want to miss an episode of the brand new Shannon Rollison podcast. Yes, one of the sharpest minds in our sport has his own podcast where each week he tackles a different topic and shares some stories Uh, of a golden era in our sports history from 2004 Athens Olympics to Jody Henry to his time in Denmark. And we even have special guests joining in on the fun, including former Australian swimming head coach, Mr. Alan Thompson. This is really a a unique podcast and one of my favorite times of the week. So do yourself a favor, head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe to the Shannon Rollison Podcast so you don't miss some of the amazing stories from one of the best in the business. And speaking of best in the business, we are now just two shows away from the season four finale coming your way next week. And it will be the 2021 Off The Block Swimming Awards show hosted, of course, by myself, but with special guest presenters, expert analyst Bobby Hurley, star of the Shannon Rollison podcast, Mr. Shannon Rollison himself, and also stars of the OTB crew podcast, Lani Pallister, Lachlan Carter, and Josh Edward-Smith will be on hand to help me celebrate what has been an amazing year in swimming, not just in here in Australia, but also internationally with the Olympics, the ISL, they will be here to help me announce the awards that were voted on by you guys, the listeners, on in the Instagram polls just the other day. We had over 700 people voting, which absolutely blew my mind. So I cannot thank you all enough for helping be a part of the podcast. And uh, for all the people out there, I can't wait to bring it to you next Friday, the 22nd of October for our season four finale. Now that's it. That's enough promoting for one day. Let's crack on with the podcast. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one hundred in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe's starting to go away from him. the show is a two-time Olympian for Canada from Rio and just recently in Tokyo where she along with her teammates won bronze in the women's 4 by 100 meter medley relay. She's also gearing up for the ISL season 3 playoffs which are now only a month away and she's going to be captaining her team the London Raw hopefully into the finals. I'm a big London Raw fan Sydney so hopefully we get into the finals. It's a very big pleasure to have on for the first time for a chat Sydney Pickram. Sydney how are you going? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. No, well, thank you for coming on. For all the listeners who don't know, um, it's obviously about six, nearly six thirty p.m. over <laughs> there for you. So I, I appreciate you taking time away from dinner. Have you had dinner yet? Uh, no. After this, I will. <laughs> okay. What's on the menu? Are you someone who's planned ahead of time, or do you sort of wing it? 
Um, actually today was like the first time I actually did a full grocery shop since I've been back. I was on the road basically for three months. So I finally got back to Toronto last week. Um, so probably just chicken, veg, sweet potatoes, a usual staple here. <laughs> yeah, very nice. So it is good to get back to routines, isn't it? As much as we do love sort of getting around and, and seeing the world and, and you've been fortunate enough to, to see some great countries and, and obviously share some. I was very jealous when you guys were in Italy with all the food <laughs> and gelato and all that sort of stuff. What was your favorite stuff to, to eat? I don't want to get bogged down on dinner, but now I'm hungry because I'm talking about <laughs> it. What was your favorite food over there? Um, we had a lot of pasta and a lot of pizza and a lot of gelato and a lot of coffee. And, you know, all of it was so good, though. It, it was really fun to honestly sit at a restaurant and eat it was just a bit bizarre, but it was cool to be able to do that with teammates. So me and my best friend, Kylie, we ate a lot of burrata salads all the time, but they were so good every time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to ask in terms of um, lockdown and that sort of stuff in Canada, because I'm not too sure. It's sort of, you know, we've got our own issues over here in, in Sydney, <laughs> Australia, that's for sure. So what, what's it been like over there? Um, obviously, you haven't been back for a while because we had the Olympics and you had obviously the ISL, but w what's it been like over there? Um, it's definitely, we kind of had a similar structure before Olympics and everything that kind of you guys have now, we were very locked down. I definitely didn't go into any restaurants. I um, basically saw my teammates and then one cousin and that's about it. And that was my bubble for basically the whole year that I lived here. Um, mm. But now things are definitely in the right direction. Uh, we're very high percentage of fully vaccinated, which is great. And so that's been definitely a plus and you've been able to go into restaurants, into shops, which I still feel so strange about, but um, we're moving in the right direction, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's absolutely really strange. Um, yeah, we've just coming out of lockdown this week ourselves. So a few mornings this week, catching up with the coaches, having a coffee um, in a coffee shop has just been really strange. Normally yeah. it's just me making coffees at home with my machine, but it's it's nice to to get back out. Now, what what else other than you know that have you been getting up to lately? I know obviously we had the ISL and we'll get into that in a minute. Outside of that, post the Olympics, did you have much time to sort of relax and enjoy yourself following, you know, what was, you know, potentially the longest Olympic preparation ever? Um, yeah, so I actually came home for about a total of four days and not even Toronto home, but home in Halifax where all my family is and got to see my mom who I hadn't seen in a long time. So that was great. Um, but then just in four days, I went back to, or not back to, I went over to Europe early. So I did about a week in France and about a week in Spain before I headed over to Italy. Um, we didn't really take much time out of the pool then just because we were kind of ticking over until, uh, till ISL, but definitely structure was really different. It's not the normal training that we would have had, uh, a little bit more relaxed. Um, so a little bit of holiday, but training all the way through. And then after Italy, when I got back here to Canada, I had about a week off just to kind of decompress. I think honestly, my mind needed it more than my body, but um, back in training this week and back in Toronto, which is good. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that in terms of, you know, your training, you said there was a bit of a lighter schedule and all that sort of stuff. And then we go into the ISL and obviously it is hugely competitive, no doubt. I'm not sort of downplaying it, but it's also a, a sort of less, 
um, intense you know, environment. It seems to be a lot more fun in terms of your teammates and being around other people as well. Do you think that was important that post Olympics, if you were going to go into an environment where you're going to have to race and all that sort of stuff, that this was probably the perfect way to get back into it? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, uh, going into it, racing was a bit daunting after the Olympics. I think a lot of us felt that and mentally I was not in the best place after Olympics. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to it just after a big meet, the emotions are so high for so long. And then you kind of have this almost come down after it. And so I think honestly, ISL was great for me, even when I was struggling mentally, I wouldn't have wanted to be around any other people because those are the people that understood what you're going through more than anybody else. So to be around teammates and honestly have being able to socialize with people after the years that we had um, definitely was really great for me. And so I did like that part of ISL the most this time around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You could definitely, that sort of showed through, obviously, on, on TV, as you as I said before, I've been watching and keeping a track of it, but just on social media and um, the way that you guys were enjoying, you know, each other's company outside of the racing realm as well. And I, I can I definitely understand for you being nervous about getting back in, you know, with the events that you have to race as well. Serena Duncan Scott not long before the ISL kicked off and I don't think he touched the water for quite a while after the Olympics and he was very nervous. I mean, he went on to obviously do quite well, as we know, uh, in season three, so he needn't be nervous. But um, yeah, with with the events that you guys do, I can definitely understand that. Now, season three of the ISL this year, the regular rounds are over, they're done with. Your team, the London Raw, finished third with a really strong performance, I thought. Playoffs are now a month away. Are you excited? to get back in the raw colors in a month's time, uh, get some good racing under your belt at the back end of the year? Yeah, I am excited. Um, I'm happy to be here in Toronto and have just a little bit of a routine for a while. Um, but I was even chatting to Kyle today and he's like, how many weeks till you're back in Europe? And uh, we are excited. I think it, it's fun that we kind of have this little bit of time, but you're also just so excited to see your teammates again. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. I hope hoping racing will go pretty well and then tick over into short course worlds after. So I'm excited to have this time because once I go, it's going to be gone for a long time again, and which I love and I'm happy about. Um, but I, I'm excited to race for London again. Yeah, you guys are on the road a lot at the moment. It's almost like, a, you know, a concert tour, isn't it? You, you know, you're here, you're there, you're, and as you said, you know, you're enjoying it as you do it, but also taking the moment to enjoy being home now because, you know, it's few and far between these days. With the ISL itself, what are you enjoying most about that concept? Is it the racing? Is it the behind the scenes part of it? Uh, my favorite part is definitely the behind the scenes of just, being with different teammates. Um, obviously I was with London the first season. And then when the second season came around and kind of talking about different teams and Canada bringing in their own team. And, um, I had talks in the works of whether that would be a potential for me, but my favorite part about ISL is that I get to have teammates from all over the world. And mm. so to be the only Canadian on the team is a really cool attribute, I think to, for me. And so it's really exciting that I get to meet these different people and just learn different things um, from different coaches. So uh, it's really cool when I get to talk to coaches and pick their brains and kind of see their different training styles and how things work. And so that's definitely my favorite part of it. Uh, just 
getting to be around other people and just like learn so much about the sport. I think I've been in it so long and this will be gosh, my 10th year on the national team. And yet there's still so much to learn about swimming. And so it's a really cool part to be from in ISL. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. I had Kyle on the podcast not long ago and he mentioned the same thing. He really enjoys being over there and being a part of, of obviously a great team, but it's a, a diverse team and a team made up of, um, you know, many different cultures and countries all brought together. And he was mentioning, and, and I'll interested to see the same thing for you, that it really makes the sort of um, ready room, you guys call it, we call it the marshalling room in terms of Olympics or world champs, a lot more of a relaxed vibe because a lot of these people are either your teammates or you've been, you know, enjoying time with them in ISL terms as well. Yeah, it, it's really crazy because even I think post this Olympic cycle, a lot of people had kind of asked, oh, like, what are your next steps? What's happening? And I kind of looked back to the first Olympic cycle after Rio and I was like, no way after 2016 did I say ISL was going to be my next step because it didn't even exist. Yeah. And so it's just interesting how much the sport has progressed where those are people that I would maybe race once a year at a world championships or, and now it just almost becomes more normal to be with people from all over the world. And so it's definitely changed the sport of swimming. And I think, Yes. I don't know if I would say I'm relaxed in the ready room like Kyle is, um, but I get where he's going with that. How have you found your own performances individually in season three? Um, I think I've learned a lot about myself so far in the regular season. I think um, performance side, I didn't really look at any times going into it. I was swimming singles where I never normally did lifting a lot more weights, uh, just to kind of have more of a relaxed program, uh, before going into it. And I didn't really know what to expect. Um, so to finish the season with the fastest two I am and to finish with almost a PB for me was kind of shocking. Cause I didn't think that was really capable <laughs> at this time. Um, but it is exciting. You know, I think it, again, like this sport, it teaches you, there's so many different ways about going fast. And I think a lot of us learn that from season two, going into a post COVID kind of era. And so it's been fun to be part of it. And so, you know, I think my performances were okay. I think I'm always going to be my harshest critic, but I'm hoping I can learn a lot and bring that into the playoff season. Yeah, well, from an outsider's perspective, I thought you did really well, but I always like to leave that up to you guys to determine how your performances were. Uh, team captain, how have you enjoyed that um, privilege? Because obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of superstars within the London Raw team as a team captain. Have you really enjoyed that sort of honour? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think from even the, it's crazy to think to like the first season, I think when Rob was calling me and recruiting me essentially, uh, and he kind of told me all the names and then he's like, well, you've been a captain for your college team. So we want you to do it for season one and for like the first match. And I was like, why, like, why would you want me? <laughs> like, like there was people, there was like Kate, there was Kyle, there was Adam, like so many people that I was like, what the heck? And so I was so nervous before the first season and it was actually Kyle and I were the first match of the first season captains in Dallas. I'd never met Kyle before in my life. And he just messed me. He's like, Hey, what should we do in Dallas? I was like, I don't know. And we're both big sports fans. And we're like, let's take him to a Dallas Cowboys game. And so we just kind of went with it um, and tried to create the best team culture that we could. And so 
Uh, I've been lucky to have done more captain roles last season and this season again, now that Kyle's back in it, uh, to do it with him is really fun. Uh, I think we're just like really, really close friends that have each other's backs. And so to be able to put that into a leadership role with such amazing swimmers, like I, I am nothing but honored because everyone on the team is so incredible and adds so much, whether it's their personality in a meeting and a practice, they're racing. There's just Everyone adds so much to our team and it's changed so much in the three seasons, but it's cool to be a part of it every single time. And uh, I love it. Well, mate, you guys are doing a great job with your leadership there because I think from, as I said, again, I can only speak from an outsider who's watching obviously Instagram and watching on TV, but you guys look like a very tight knit group uh, and, a, and a squad that obviously enjoys their own company and, and being around each other, but also performance wise and, and encouraging each other all the way through. I'm sure everyone's going to say that with all the different teams over there, but uh, I'm a London Raw fan myself. You know, I support <laughs> you guys. So I'm going to say that we, we've got it more than, more than the others now if i was to take uh the isl boss's hat off their head and put it on yours for the day what would you change or implement around rules or, or whatever it might be because obviously there's, there's been a lot of conversations certainly in season three around you know jackpots or skins or how those points are made up different things like that obviously it's still in its infantry with season three so there's a long way to go and there's going to be things tinkered with along the way until it's sort of a perfect format but is there anything that sort of jumps to mind for you that you'd like to maybe see implemented if you were a boss for the day um yeah i think it's been a lot of conversations this season in specific of just kind of what we really think and um you know i've had a lot of conversations of just kind of the events that i swim is not necessarily geared towards this type of swimming um and so it, it's hard to look at it from my perspective. It was almost as if, well, if I can swim a 53 times fast, then I will make way more money, make score way more points. And it's just, the skins are really heavily weighted, which I think it's harder for people like me and my events. And I know you mentioned dunks earlier, just like the things that he swims and he can just win from a hundred to a 200 to a 400 of I am or freestyle. And yet it's not really valued. And so I think that's a hard part of the sport and knowing what it takes to be able to do that. And I think from a swimming perspective, to be able to have a range of events and win a bunch of events or swim a 400 IM or a four free or things like that. Um, I think in a swimming world, you know what that takes and how hard that is. And then, so it's hard to see how heavily valued the skins are over other events and winning so many events. So that's something that I don't know the right algorithm of how you would change that by any means, but I think that's a hard thing going into it with my perspective from the swimming side. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, as I said, it, it is still season three, isn't it? So, you know, you look around the world with all the big leagues, when you mentioned NFL and all this sort of stuff, hundreds of years uh, in the making for those sort of rules and things tinkered and changed. So no doubt, you know, with, with uh, you know, you guys having a voice and, and being able to express that, and I'm sure they're looking at that behind the scenes. So I, I really hope they do um, look at that sort of stuff and making it a little bit more exciting. Uh, in terms of those, um, you know, longer distance events and especially more incentives for you guys, for sure. Now, Energy Standard were champion season one, Cali Condors season two. Mate, help me out here. Can we see the London Raw hold the trophy for season three? 
Uh, I hope so. You know, I think um, we've had two incredible seasons and uh, the first season was definitely a heartbreaker, but we did everything we could and I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I think we built so much in that season and um, season two was hard. We didn't have our Aussies and as much as they supported us 24 seven through our group chats, texting us, everything, uh, it was hard to not have them. And so now I think um, if we can get our whole team to the, to the semis or the playoffs and then to the finals, I think we have a really good shot at it. Um, I definitely wouldn't count us out. Oh, mate, I hope so. And, and you know, just again, from a, a fan's perspective, I definitely think you're in with a shot. You'll definitely be in that top four come January time. And then it's, hey, it's anybody's game at that point. Now, mate, I want to change tax and move on to obviously Tokyo and, and you know, um, two and a bit months ago now, but it, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. It's just, you know, life keeps evolving and moving forward as we know. Uh, I want to go back though. What was the buildup like for Tokyo? You had such a successful 2019 world champs. Uh, I think it was three bronze medals, if I'm not mistaken, two individuals, one with a relay. You must've been pumped for Tokyo. Yeah, given at that stage, we knew it was 2020, not 2021. It then gets postponed due to COVID. How were the preparations for trials making the team, you know, that following year? Were there any setbacks and and did that postponement help or hinder you? Um. So, yeah, I think coming off of 2019, I, I was really happy. I was still living in Texas. I was training at my old university. Um, and then kind of going into the spring of 2020, Canada was, I, if not the first to pull out of the Olympic games. And that was a whoa moment. Um, and so I was like, I think for those couple of days, it was what happens if the Olympic goes through and we don't go, like, I, I didn't really know how to process that. And that was pretty difficult. And then shortly after when there was the postponement of the Olympics, um, I think I felt a bit of relief in that moment because I wouldn't be missing if it was happening. And so um, then it was kind of try and get back into swimming. I think um, I was short of pool time. I didn't have any pool time at my university being a post-grad. It was kind of a hard situation. I think it was about eight of us that didn't have anywhere to swim. And Mm. so I went back to my old club team in Florida. I did the drive the 17 hour drive and brought my dog, brought everything that I could and uh, trained there for about two months with my old club coach, which was interesting, kind of bringing back kind of the perspective of swimming again, back all the way to the club days, which was miserable. It was so hard, but I'm really grateful for the opportunity and was thankful to be able to swim there. Um, and then after that, cause we kind of knew ISL was going to be coming up and that I needed to start swimming again. And so, um, then I went back and had just was only able to swim kind of singles, really not really able to train much, um, at my university. And that was just the situation. And so then off to Budapest and that's when Toronto kind of went back into lockdown. And this is when we had a mandatory two weeks quarantine in Canada. So I knew before trials, I was going to have to do two weeks at some point. And so when we went back into lockdown, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get any high performance exam or anything like that. And vaccines weren't even a thing. And so I made the decisions when I was in Budapest that I would move to Toronto and train at the high performance center. And so 
as many summers know, it's not ideal to change programs halfway through Olympic year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I picked up everything. I got home from Budapest, had about four days, and then did the 22-hour drive to Toronto and moved my entire life to a different country, uh, me and my dog. And so and then I trained in Toronto up until trials and um, I was really grateful in January. I got the pre-selection for the Olympic team uh, based off of 2019. And I was very grateful for that, given the fact that our Olympic trials was postponed three times. Mm. Um, so originally April, then May, and then eventually went off in June. And so it was definitely a relief to not have to really peak that close to the Olympics. Um But yeah, and then Olympics came, then trials came around and then Olympics came around. And um, so, yeah, I don't think it was the smoothest Olympic year, but I don't think anyone's was really. No, it certainly doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you, a lot of driving, that's for sure. (laughs) Picturing you just putting in petrol so often because you've done so much driving. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it it wasn't smooth by any means. And and it must have been a massive, I mean, you mentioned it, but it must have been a massive weight off your shoulders knowing that you're pre-selected because it would have been really difficult for you to, you know, I'm not saying you couldn't have been at your best come trials time because, you know, who's to say, and, and we've seen it quite often with some performances like that, but it must have been a, a big, um, you know, sort of nerve settler to know that you you had that leeway. Yeah, for sure. I think especially when kind of, we didn't really know about each postponement until a couple of weeks prior. So just, trying to peak at the right time. It was really hard to see a lot of my teammates in that situation where they just didn't know when that was going to happen and if trials was even going to go at some point. And so I was definitely grateful to have that pre-selection. What was the village like over there when you got there? Obviously um, you'd been to Rio, but this is different. This is, this is COVID time. This is, uh, you know, policies and procedures and, you know, spit in this tube and all sorts of things were happening and, you know, go into the, into the cafeteria area and in this perspex glass and all that sort of stuff. How did you find, um, you know, Tokyo outside of the pool? Um, you know, I think they really did the best that they could in the circumstances, which was, I was really grateful for. I think we also came from a very strict lockdown where I was taking a COVID test twice a week for the past six months. Anyway, Um, I was in the protocols, always wearing a mask to and from the pool deck and on the pool deck, doing any activation, doing any weights. We always wore a mask and any call room, anything. We always had one. And so it was kind of more, I think, comfort zone for us than a lot of other countries that had kind of free range beforehand. And so, um, it, it was definitely different. It wasn't like Rio, that's for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we all have been given different protocols and things like that. And we have adapted to them throughout the entire year. And so it was different. Um, I feel for those if that's their only Olympic experience and hopefully that won't be the case. Um, but I think they did the best that they could under the circumstances. And at the end of the day, I think all of us are just really appreciative that we got to have an Olympics this year. Yeah, hundred percent. You guys put on a phenomenal show, especially for us here in in Sydney in lockdown. So uh, absolutely, I loved it. Uh, what about the beds? I know there was a lot made about the cardboard <laughs> beds. How did you find it? Honestly, I didn't really mind them. I think that was definitely so social media frenzy when people found that out. Um, but I think this would have been 
my fourth or fifth village. And I think you kind of just expect the rooms and the mattresses and the beds to be the most basic as possible. So I always bring my pillow, eye mask, earplugs, and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is perfect advice for anyone at any level, you know, if they're traveling for, for competition, always your pillow. It is very, very comforting. Very. That's for sure. <laughs> um, also, another thing that was there in Tokyo were uh, finals in the morning, heats at night. How did you find that? Um, I think it was okay. You know, I don't think it's ideal for any athlete. And I think we all knew that. Um, but it, it was hard, but you kind of get in this rhythm, I think when it comes to finals or even just, I think even with ISL, when things were like, you're racing eight to 10, like that was so late to be racing at. And so I think you kind of just adapt to, okay, well, I'm going to wake up this many hours before my race and I'm going to eat this many hours, whether it's for your finals in the morning or your uh, prelims at night. Uh, I think that's kind of just the motive that I had throughout the whole Olympics. And then I think after those like nine, 10 days, I was like, I don't know if I've had a proper sleep in a long time. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think we all knew that's the situation and that's what was going to happen. And so you just have to take it as it comes. <laughs> A hundred percent. I think if, you know, if this COVID sort of era, as we call it, has taught us anything, it's that you can't control uh, things, things are going to happen and you've just got to roll with it and be as flexible, be like water, as Bruce Lee used to say. <laughs> um, and another quick question just on obviously, um, you know, being in the ready room, we talked about that before. What do you like in the ready room? Do you listen to music? Do you chat? Do you get super nervous and just keep to yourself? What do you like? Um, I think it depends. I think like, I was in such a weird headspace with a lot of nerves, I think, during ISL. And I remember looking to Katie, uh, who was my teammate in the IM, and I was like, don't let me stop talking. Like, I don't want to think. I just, like, don't let me stop talking. And then there's some times where I have headphones in and I'm just listening to music and I'm like, I don't want anyone to speak to me. Then other times I'm not even listening to music and I'm just sitting there. So I don't think I have, like, the most structured – I have a very structured, like, pre getting up on the blocks of what I do but in the ready room I think just depends on the day how I'm feeling <laughs> geez I hope Kylie really knows you very very well because <laughs> you say to her oh don't you know keep talking to me don't let me go quiet and then but then then next day you might need that quiet <laughs> yeah. she's like sorry like, hey listen just please give me some time I need to just so hopefully she I'm assuming she knows you well enough to know when you <laughs> need to be left alone now yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, mate, excuse my naivety, but I did note there was no 400 IM and 200 breaststroke from an Aussie fan over here who obviously just really pays more attention to the Aussie swimmers and the news around them. Uh, give me a bit of an insight into what went into that decision. Um, I think the, I think, as I've said, I just wasn't in the best place going into ISL and was trying to do my best for the team to be okay. And I think, uh, I had a lot of conversations with our head coach Tiggy and then as well, uh, our GM Rob and, uh, co-captain Kyle. And I think I had a lot of conversations and they basically wanted my best interest at heart. And so they had vocalized to me. Rob said, if you don't want to swim another race here, that's totally fine. If you want to go home, that's okay. If you want to be here and just be the captain, like you add so much more potential to this team than anything else. And that meant a lot to me because I always feel responsible in the fact that, okay, if I'm going to be in this role, like I want to show it in the pool. And so 
to not be in the best mental space and trying to get up and race, um, that was a difficult situation for me because I couldn't show, I couldn't be the person that I usually was in the previous seasons. I was trying to be as supportive as I could, a best teammate that I could, and um, trying to also just make sure I'm okay. And, you know, our whole team was so supportive of me. And so two breasts, I kind of didn't do as much because I just wanted to be as focused and as diligent on the two I am that I could. And that, that was kind of mentally, I was just trying to grasp that one race at a time. And then um, the four I am has always been a bit of a struggle for me. I think I know my potential in it when it comes to the athletic side and then the mental side, it's a little bit harder, but you know, I think they just wanted me to make sure that I was okay. And, um, had a lot of conversations with my home coaches as well. And, um, I just wanted to get in a better place with swimming. I wasn't in a best place after the Olympics. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And so, you know, I think my program was definitely different and, um, I think come semis, it'll be a little bit back more back to normal, which I'm excited about. And I feel in a better place with swimming mentally than I did then. And so, I'm just really grateful to be on the team and have the support that I have because I couldn't have gone through this regular season without them having my backs like they did. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like a really, you know, supportive network there, which is really important. And, you know, something that you sort of brought up that I guess these days is becoming a lot more, um, I say accepted because it always should have been accepted, but people being able to say, Hey, listen, I'm not okay at the moment. How can we navigate this? Because let's be honest, everybody from coaches to, you know, whatever space you're in, whether you're swimmers, whether you're just working in a factory, you know, it it doesn't really matter, but we all have those moments. uh, And it's becoming a lot more now, as I said, accepted to be able to say, look, I'm not probably at my best at the moment and to be able to have that conversation. How important is that, do you think, for all athletes and coaches out there, just taking this more broadly now, to be able to to say to your coach, look, I, you know, I know you want me to be at my best, but mentally I, I might just not be there right now. Yeah, I, th- I think it's so important. And I think over the past couple of months um, leading up to the Olympics and through it and through ISL, I've had it so much at my forefront, um, which I'm really grateful because I think I'm in a better place relationship wise with my coaches than ever and teammates. And, um, I think in sport and, uh, with athletes, vulnerability is almost looked negatively. And I've learned that it's such a strength of mine to have that vulnerability with my teammates and my coaches and being an actual person where I think, we kind of have gotten into this rhythm where in sport, you're almost not human. And the things that a lot of people do almost seem not human, but at the end of the day, we still are. And so having those open conversations, I think is so important for any swimmer, any athlete in general. And I'm glad that it's starting to become a bit more of the forefront. And, you know, I knew where I was at physically. I went almost to PB in my two IM and I, I knew what I was capable of my swimming speed and where I was. And, I knew what I could have done in a 4IM, which was almost more frustrating because I wasn't there mentally, but to be able to say that to my coaches and to my teammates and everything, um, it meant a lot that they had my back no matter what. And so I think it also, that will help in the long run for anyone. And so it's really important to be open and be honest and make sure you take care of yourself because at the end of the day, we do this because it's a sport. And yes, it's my job. That's how I make a living now. But 
at the end of the day, it's a sport. And I joined it when I was a kid because it was fun and I wanted to do it. And so if you're not having fun, you're not a happy swimmer, it's probably not the best for you. No, 100%, mate. I think you touched on something there that, you know, is brilliant. You know, being able to have these conversations is going to add to the longevity of swimmers' careers because you're able to be um, vulnerable and you're able to maybe take some time off where back in the day, if you had to plow through and your coach is getting up you because you're not performing at the right level and then you're getting up him because you're like, well, hey, listen, I don't actually want to be here right now. Next minute, you know, heads are clashing and then swimmers are going, do you know what, I'm going to call it a day because I've had enough. Really, if we look back, you know, if we take the tack that we're looking at now, and not just in your situation, but in a lot of situations, being able to be vulnerable, having those conversations, taking time if you need to take time, it's going to add, you know, years and years onto swimmers' careers. A hundred percent. And I think it's been cool because ISL almost has that structure of creating that longevity in sport. And so um, I think now when I think you would look at being 24 and 27 come the next Olympic games, that would be like, so are you done where now there's this longevity in sport, which is really exciting. And at the end of the day, you have to be happy doing your job, whether it's athletics or not. And so that's definitely a main goal of mine going into these next years. Mate, you just saying, um, you know, at 24, you know, oh, are you done? That just reminds me of my, my dad. This is how old school my dad is. Mm-hmm. I said to him, I've got a 16 year old, you know, she's doing pretty well. I think she got fourth at, you know, um, state and I think she's fine. Oh, mate, at 16, if they're not winning medals at nationals, you know, that's about it, you know. I said at 16, you've already put her into the into the paddock. You've pensioned her off. So we've definitely come a long way since the old school way of thinking, that's for sure. And for the better, I, I must admit. No offense, Dad. It's okay. He never listens to the <laughs> podcast anyway. Um, <laughs> just want to circle back to obviously the Olympics, mate. Uh, the 200 IM, you finished six. How, how did you see that performance for yourself? Um, as I said, I like to let, you know, you guys do the talking when it comes to your performance. So how did you see that race? I'll get to the, the medley relay in a minute and, and the success that you girls had there. And I think just across the board, that was a phenomenal race, not just for Canada, obviously Australia won. So I'm biased in that regard, but <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant race individually, the 200 IM. Give me your take on it. Um, if you want me to be brutally honest, <laughs> uh, it was not what I'm capable of. And I think that's a hard thing to almost accept. And I think I'm still in the process of accepting it. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to Olympic games, uh, there's so much going into it. And so to not achieve what you know that you're capable of is hard. And um, so, yes, I was very disappointed. I, I know what I'm capable of and I know I'm a better swimmer than that performance, but at the end of the day, that's what I had on that day. And so I can't be mad at it. Um, I just have to learn to accept it and move forward. And at the end of the day, I'm still swimming. There's still lots of chances to swim fast. Um, so a lot of disappointment, but you know, life keeps going. <laughs> no, well, mate, listen, a hundred percent. And I sort of only asked those questions because you know, you guys are doing it at the most elite level, um, but there, you know, the swimmers that listen to this podcast are, you know, feeling these same sort of things on on many different levels. For you, just in terms of, um, you know, advice for the younger swimmers listening, is it a matter of now of you taking time when you get a moment to then have a look at, okay, you know, this is what happened. I'm going to process that. Where did this, uh, you know, situate? How did this eventuate? What can I do differently? And then looking ahead, what can I do 
to to make any changes is that sort of your process now how are you looking sort of at it in a, in a sort of a way of learning from that experience um uh, yeah i th- i think it's a hundred percent necessary to process the good and the bad races uh, i think i've learned that over my career and if i just don't even want to tackle it, then it won't really help me. And, you know, I think I've learned the most from my hardest races of whether it was the disappointment or whether it was the struggle of how I got there. I think you learn the most from those. And so I think it's really important to process all of your races and whether that's on your own, taking notes, thinking about what happened on this day, what can I do to change this? Or even meeting with your coaches, I think, Um, I've always had a great relationship with my coaches. I was with the same coach from when I was 10 until I went to college and then college for almost six years. And now, uh, with my high performance coaches. And so I've always had a very open relationship in the sense of just always having communication. And I think even through the past year with COVID, I almost neglected that. And I think that was a a regret of my own. And so having those conversations and processing your race and, being vocal, even if it's your training and just saying, okay, I trust you and why you're having me do this, but I want to understand why. And I think that's something that I've always been as a swimmer is wanting to understand the process of why I'm doing this, set, what it's going to help, what's going to make this difference and how it's going to make me a better swimmer. And so I think it's really, really important. I love that. I absolutely love it. I, I always challenge my swimmers, um, just as you said, to to ask those sort of questions, not in a smart ass type of way. I don't want. I don't want to. Why are we even doing this today? Like that. That's annoying as a coach to hear. But I, I'm always up for you know someone to chat. Okay, we did this set. Uh, why did we do this set today? What were you trying to get out of me as an athlete today? And then sometimes as, as coaches, we learn the most from those conversations because we've written a program designed to, you know, work a certain system. And then in the end, maybe we've, we've almost, you know, gone into a completely different system of training and we're like, okay, well, maybe, you know, we overstepped that. So those sort of conversations are brilliant. For, for both parts. So I absolutely love that, mate. That is great advice. Uh, I mentioned just before the the four by one medley relay, bronze for you guys, um, you know, with Kylie, Maggie and, and Penny, who I've had on the podcast before as well. Such a great race just in general, though, with the US and, and Aussie girls. I mean, you guys were, I think, under a second behind them on the wall. So it was such a close race. How much did you enjoy that one? Uh, I was very stressed, I think, going into it. Um, I didn't really have the confidence from my earlier races in the Olympics, and that was going to be my last one. And so uh, in the prelims, I knew I had to give it my best shot so I could make that final team, and I wanted to be part of that final team. And so that was kind of one good step. But then at the end of the day, I was terrified because I knew the girls that I had with me, and I wanted to be up to their standard basically where it's funny because I love those three to death. I train with Kylie and Penny on a regular basis and uh, Maggie for a lot of during the COVID times. And so uh, it's funny because they would, they laugh at me when I say that because they're like, you are our best breaststroker. What are you talking about? (laughs) And so um, I I was definitely nervous, but um, it's also a really cool feeling to get an Olympic medal with people that you see 
what the work that they do every single day. And so um, it was fun to be part of that relay team. And I'm really grateful to have that as my ending to the Tokyo Olympics. Did they help you in a way, obviously individually, you know, just, I don't want to go too far into it, but gauging from your Olympic experience, it was, you know, one that was, you know, wave of emotions for you and, and in your mind and in your headset, you know, what you were going through. Did being up there with the girls, obviously in marshalling room, but when you come out and you're behind the you know behind the blocks did that help having those girls around oh 100 percent um i think i wouldn't have had a race like that if it was individual and all i was thinking about is doing it for them and doing it for canada that was the end of our olympics and it was going to be the end for all of us and it was also an opportunity for penny to be the most decorated olympian if she won that medal and so um yeah i think i wouldn't have been able to do without them i like i like I said, I love them all so much. I mean, Kylie's my best friend. And so to get to take over from her and just, I knew she would do everything she could. And um, I just wanted to back her up and then have the best position that I could give over to Maggie. And so it really does take a village to get to the points that we did at the Olympics and to get, it does take a village also to get that Olympic medal as well. Having KP and Taylor in the prelim sessions to also get that medal and just a bunch of my teammates that work really hard and so i was glad to be able to help them get that medal as well yeah very nice now listen i mean as you mentioned just before um you've had a few coaches in your swimming career so i don't want to you know single one out talk to me about your coaches how have they helped you in, in your sort of progression as an athlete but also you know as a person uh tremendously um i think I swam for Randy Reese all my life growing up and he is kind of legendary for being very tough in the nicest way possible. And so I, it was cool going into university and things where I would just say, Oh yeah, I, I swim for Randy Reese and people would just say, Oh, because they knew my work ethic coming from him. And so he shaped me to be the swimmer that I am today, a hundred percent. Um, and then in college, like I loved working with Steve and I still talk to Steve all the time. I even texted him today and said, Hey, I'm going to come for a football weekend. Can I train? He's like, heck yeah. And just like so excited to have me back. And then Ben and Ryan, my coaches now, um, they are truly the best. I think Ben has such a charismatic personality that is really fun to have during training and, um, challenging at times to, push you in a lot of different ways in and out of the pool. And, um, Ryan, I've worked with since 2014. And so, um, I think like I have such a great relationship with all of them where I know they care about me more than just a swimmer. And I think it's really important giving that this is my job and this is my life that me as a person is also very important as well as the athlete. And they definitely help me get to that perspective. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's really important uh, for swimmers to have an identity outside of being an athlete and being a swimmer. And certainly again, that's something that we're, you know, coming in leaps and bounds, uh, you know, in 2020 and 2021. Whereas you look back in, in 2000, there's a lot of those athletes who retired around those early 2000s that, you know, still to this day, probably look at themselves as an athlete that is now a mom or a dad or has gone into other life. But, you know, they probably still identify themselves as an athlete. I think we're learning a lot more about being able to know and identify ourselves individually. I say ourselves, I'm not an athlete, so I shouldn't really <laughs> put myself in that. <laughs> Went for like 5K 
walk today and I was huffing and puffing. So there's no way I'm an athlete, that's for sure. That is a hundred percent right. And I get brought back to reality very quickly, Sydney, with my three year old daughter Charlie, who will, you know, very quickly put me in my place. So no, <laughs> I'm definitely a, a dad as much as a, a coach. Now we've talked a lot about team uh within this podcast. What about the Team Canada culture? Um, give me an insight in, into what it's like being a part of the Canadian swim team. Um, I think our culture has changed so much. Um, I This will be my 10th year on the national team, 8th year or 10th year on an A national team, 8th year on the senior national team, um, which is just mind-blowing that I feel like I've been here for ages and I'm only 24. Um <laughs> But, you know, I think it's changed a lot. And I think we've had a lot of younger people come up that have really challenged how the dynamic works, which is has been really cool because you just you learn a lot from everyone. And so um, I think that's such a great thing. And then also like our center itself, we had 11 people from my home club go on to the Olympic team. So those are the people that I'm with every single day. And so the culture is great. The coaches are great. Um, I love all the staff that I've worked with over the years and um, the team itself. We just really like being almost underdogs from where we were in 2015 going into Rio. And we've kind of capitalized that as it's gone on. And uh, I think it's really cool that not many of us are going anywhere before Paris. And I think that's going to be a really cool situation to be in come the next Olympics. Yeah, look, as a swimming fan, uh, I'm really excited. I always, you know, genuinely get excited, you know, watching these teams build. And, and you know, obviously from what you just said there, 2024 is is very exciting for you guys. Before then, there's 2022. There's a lot happening in the swimming world in terms of short course world champs. And then we've got Commonwealth Games. You're Canadian, so we've got Commonwealth Games next year. We've got world champs again. Are you looking forward to that? Are you going to get a break at any point? Or are you like just full on now? You're back into it and, you know, we're going to just finish it when it all gets done at the back end of 2022. Um, You know, I think it's exciting. I think it's a chaotic year. We've uh, like, I've had the structure of basically I have my year planned out until after Birmingham and looking at it all color coded. I'm like, Holy, there is a lot of travel. There's a lot of racing, um, but it's really fun. Like that's my favorite part of swimming is traveling and racing and going to be in different places and see different people. And so it's exciting. Um, I think after this, it'll be another bit of a long haul with ISL, hopefully the final into short course world. So I'll be on the road for a bit and then have a little bit of time at Christmas. It's kind of a good lead up time to have a little bit of a break. Um, then we'll almost have a normal schedule until trials until April and maybe a few training camps here and there, but pretty standard. And then basically from April after trials, it's going to be so chaotic with going to over to Japan, staging trials, Marinostrum, going into Birmingham. Um, so it's going to be a crazy year, but I, I'm excited. You know, I think it's this is the fun part. Um, this is a part that we all love and we really lacked through the COVID year that I think it made me struggle a lot with swimming. And so uh, I am excited to kind of have that craziness back. <laughs> Yeah, well, as I said, I was sort of caught in two worlds looking at you guys' sort of um, schedules for next year because there's a part of me that's like, 
oh man, these guys have just had like the biggest Olympic preparation of all time. So really they deserve to have like a lot of downtime and just sort of enjoy being back. But at the same time, it's got to be exciting, as you said, with with so much on the on the horizon. Um, mate, I like to finish all my chats with a little bit less serious questions because I think they give us a bit of insight into so what you're like away from the pool. Um, so just throw it straight back, whatever first comes to your mind. Uh, when I give you these questions, I'm not going to do the Google questions for you. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> these, these ones are safer. Uh, what is your favorite music to listen to? Um, I listen to a lot of Spanish music, but also went to school in Texas for almost six years. So I'm a big country fan as well. So I have kind of a wide variety. So with the Spanish music, do you understand what they're saying or you just enjoy <laughs> the music? <laughs> Um, mostly enjoy the music. I try and almost translate some songs. Kai and I definitely try and do that a little bit. So we kind of know what we're listening to. Um, but yeah, definitely just like the music more than anything. <laughs> I'm with you though. It, it is good. Like we, uh, myself and my wife obviously went to Spain for our honeymoon uh, and took this long time back when you could travel around the world and do what you wanted. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like I had no idea what they were singing about, but yeah, no, the rhythm gets into you. And I, I don't have any moves, but they were somewhat moving. My <laughs> hips were moving around. Uh, what about favorite movies? What are your, some of your favorite movies? If you get a chance to chill and sit down, do you have some go-to movies? Uh, I'm a big documentary fan, so any like nature documentary, any animal documentary, any like sport documentary for sure is like up my alley. Like the Amazon All or Nothing is definitely like I've binged, binged. Um, any like Last Chance You on Netflix, like those are my binge kind of shows and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm with it. They're interesting too. Like I started watching one, I think it's called Bad Sport and it's all about like some sort of um, background into, you know, uh, corruption in sport and all these sort of different stories. So yeah, my, my wife, she's like, why are you watching so many documentaries lately? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm just trying to learn and better myself. I'm sorry yeah. <laughs> that upsets people. Um, <laughs> what about favorite countries? You've, you've been fortunate to get around and, and to travel with swimming. Um, what's your favorite countries you visited? Um, I, I mean, I'm very biased. I do love Australia. I am a big fan. Like two years ago, I went from Sydney to Melbourne to Adelaide to Gold Coast. And that was a great trip. That's for sure. Um, but I also, I love Europe. I love just in general being able to hop to so many different countries because there's so many different cultures, like going from France to Spain. It's just, it's always so different. Um, but I don't know. It's hard to say a favorite. There's still so many places that I want to go to. So I don't know. Yeah. Listen, let's get rid of COVID so we can actually start. Cause I'm like you, I've got like a list of like, oh, I want to go here. And at the moment we can't do anything. I can't even go to another state, let alone another country. So <laughs> let's get rid of it and let's get back into our um, travel plans. Uh, what about TV shows? Obviously you've got Netflix. Do you binge watch any of those sort of series? Um, I have definitely watched Grey's Anatomy way more than once. Um, any like great British baking show, great Canadian baking show. I'm a huge foodie. And so those ones, I think I binge a lot as well. So like MasterChef, do you say, do you watch MasterChef? Oh, yeah. I love, I'm also like absolutely obsessed with Gordon Ramsay. Like I am obsessed. Any, I've watched Hell's Kitchen all 18 seasons from start to finish more times than I can count. I'm just 
I'm a huge Gordon Ramsay fan. Listen, I feel like we're on the same page because again, I'm with you. There's another show that he's got. I can't remember what streaming service it's on. I can't, yeah, I can't remember, but um, it's just him uh, and a couple of his mates traveling around uh, the world and going to different places. It is based around food, but it's also just him traveling and some of the situations they get in is hilarious. So him in or out of the kitchen, I'm a fan and I'll watch it. Speaking of the kitchen, favorite Mm. meals, what do you like to eat? Um, honestly, I love trying new things. That's like why I, that's partially why I like traveling so much is like trying the local kind of foods. Um, but I don't know. I'm a big baker. So like, I love baking like cream puffs, cakes, but I like honestly anything, banana bread, cupcakes, anything, but also, I know that's not always the best thing to do. So sometimes I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the occasion, on the odd occasion. <laughs> uh, what about cooking? You enjoy cooking? Yeah, I love cooking. I think, I mean, I cook almost every day um, at home. Um, I definitely like, I would make my own pasta. Like I like doing things like that. Anything that kind of takes time when I have an afternoon, I like to make those kind of dishes. I wish I was good at cooking, but I, I am horrible. Like I really try hard because my poor wife, God bless her. Like she does a lot of the cooking and that's not because she's a woman, it's just because she's really good at cooking. And so I was like, oh, I'll try and learn how to cook it to help out. So maybe I'll do one or two nights and it just never tastes the same as her cooking. So I was like, yeah. I don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't taste as good as yours. So I, I envy people that are, are good cooks. <laughs> Uh, the last one for you, mate, is favorite quotes. Do you have any quotes that you sort of keep with you? Any of the coaches are brought to you? Um, do you live by any quotes? Um, one thing that I know, like Kai has always said to me so many times, like a happy summer is a fast summer is something that I always like to think about. And then I always, one thing that I always would talk about is like trust in your resilience. And that's for me, I think where I get a lot of my confidence is from the steps that I've done or the practices that I've done and just the racing that I've done. And so trust in that resilience of no matter how many times you've had these bad situations happen to you, you are able to still do all of that. And so that's something that I try and tell myself a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. And um, another one for the people out there is, you know, quotes don't work unless you do. So it's great to write down a great quote, but if you're just going to sit there and look at the quote, then it's probably not going to help you very much. So you've got to be proactive. Yeah. Um, mate, I think it's a perfect chance to wrap it up there. Uh, I want to thank you, as I said before, you know, it's nighttime over there. You still haven't had dinner, you poor thing. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up so you can go have a feed. Um, yeah, thank you for taking the time to come on for a chat. Um, I really do appreciate it and good luck with everything, you know, with your own swimming. We're getting back into the ISL. As I said, selfishly, I'm a, I'm a London Raw fan. So I look forward to you getting back in, in the playoffs and obviously hopefully moving forward to January in the finals. I do genuinely think you guys are a really red hot chance of doing something in the finals. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot more wide open this year um, than it has been. And uh, I'm looking forward to that, mate, and good luck with all of it. Hopefully we get to have another chat at some time down the future. But until then, thanks for coming on the show. Yes, thank you so much. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. 
If you're loving the podcast at the moment, then why not be a part of the show and join the OTB crew by purchasing our merchandise, the OTB crew original t-shirt. It's as easy as clicking the link tree in the bio, which will then take you directly to our website to purchase your own piece of the podcast. We deliver all over the world, so no matter where you are, you can still be a part of the crew. We have tank tops, socks, hoodies still to come, but why wait? Jump on Instagram page right now. Follow the link tree to our website to purchase your own OTB crew merch today.